Welcome back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and ghost historian Mike Ricksecker. With me tonight is Katie Hopkins. Our very own Vanessa Hochul is not feeling well tonight, so Katie has stepped. That's the giveaway. Okay, so Carl, <laughs> Carl Johnson, the renowned uh, demonologist, Carl Johnson, has been involved with the paranormal field since uh, the 70s, and... Um, Gosh, Carl. I mean, we've had you on. Um, we've had you on before. I think everybody knows you. So, welcome back. Yeah, they know of me. Uh, hi there. <laughs> uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, rabbit yeah, hole. Absolutely. And um, you know, last time that we had Carl on, we talked about his book, Shadow Realms Demonology Handbook, which I have here in my hand. So make sure to get that as well. Um, which we'll probably eventually get to as we go along here, but. You know, before, did, did you want to read a chapter of it? Or, yeah, we'll just you know, sit here just and make it, it an easy interview. <laughs> yeah, just read an entire okay. chapter. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, no, we won't do that. <laughs> we want them to read right. it. <laughs> uh, that's true, a little preview, but yeah, we want them to read it. Yep, yep. And so, um, yeah, so Carl, you have, uh, I thought we would just roll right into it. You know, you have an appearance coming up here. We we're kind of joking around but before uh, the rabbit hole here. That show, what show? But you do have something coming up here. Um, I can't talk about it. I don't know that, Mike. I can't talk about it. <laughs> no, actually, of course, when this was first uh, filmed uh, in um, mid-August, actually, uh, there was, you know, big secrecy contractual, you know, uh, limitations. And all. But then the show, you know, blasted it on the travel channel and they're advertising it left and right. So yeah, right. I can, I can say anything about it. You know, I don't want to give away everything that happened there. I want you to watch it and see, but it, it is actual. It is, you know, it's nothing contrived. There is where we actually forgot the cameras were on it because the way they filmed this show, they, they go around with not a big uh, television camera. They have a, what we call a camcorder, you know, a handheld video camera. And you forget that they're filming it. You, you just think they're doing it for their own purposes. So it's all it's all very genuine and not contrived. Now, this is for the show Ghost Adventures. And uh, what they will do, their approach to the paranormal is to do an overnight lockdown where they just stay inside the, uh, the structure of the residence overnight and uh, expose themselves to all kinds of fumes and dust and all. And uh, where they stayed... Uh, in mid-August was a house in a farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island. It's a Round Top Hill Farmhouse. And that was the setting for the movie The Conjuring, of course. Yeah, I think everybody uh, kind real of affectionately conjuring. calls it The Conjuring House, but of course uh, they yeah, can't, can't use that as people, the name. Well, they don't officially use it now, right. but I mean, unless you say, you know, you, we qualify to saying where The Conjuring, you know, story epic took place. Okay. But... You know, we say, uh, if you say The Conjuring House, people know what it is right away. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? so, but it is Round Top Hill Farm. It's in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah. So um, Harrisville, Rhode Island, that's where the, uh, the, the Perrin family had lived for those 10 years. And uh-huh. uh, a part of the story that I think people don't really realize because, you know, they, they see what happened in the movie. And they don't realize yeah. that you and your brother Keith were very heavily involved in this case and were the ones that uh, introduced <clears throat> the um, the Warrens to the parents. That is true, yes. It was a much more complex case than is portrayed in the movie. 
um, would take about a, like a three, um, a three movies uh, series to portray it as it actually happened. But the fact was that uh, my brother and I were involved with members of a group based at Rhode Island College at that time. In the movie, it says, you know, it's uh, taking place in 1971. It actually transpired, all these events transpired that, that are, you know, depicted in the movie, transpired in uh, sept- uh, August and September 1973. And uh, my brother had placed an ad in a local paper circular that uh, was advertising our group based at Rhode Island College. It was Pyro, that's Parapsychology Investigation and Research Organization. And uh, I, so that we would do residential cases, he placed an ad saying, you know, offering our services. And um, some weeks later, we were contacted by Mrs. Carolyn Perrin who had not long before she and her husband, Roger, and their uh, five children, or four children, had moved into a house in Harrisville, Rhode Island, a farmhouse that was actually built in 1736. And it was uh, the site of a, of a haunting. She was describing the strange activity taking place in their house. And she invited us, Carolyn Perrin invited us to come and investigate. So we went there in August of 1973. And I remember pulling up to what was then, I believe, a gravel driveway. And I got this eerie feeling as soon as we pulled up. And I said, oh, something's up here. I just sense it. You know. Well, we weren't disappointed. It was an interesting investigation. And uh, when we first went into the parents' house, we uh, conducted the interview process. I remember one of, the, uh, one of the daughters said they saw Keith pull up, my brother, my twin brother. He had uh, shoulder-length blonde hair there and... Uh, he was carrying a Bible, and one of the girls said, "Yeah, you know, Mom, Jesus Christ is here. <laughs> Jesus came to see us." So, but Keith really bonded with these these girls. So we That's went in there, funny. and oh yeah, he was <laughs> holy man. And uh, so, as we were conducting the interview, um, let's see, it was uh, uh, the case manager was Donna Eisenstadt. And uh, she was the uh, president of Pyro. So uh, as we were talking to Roger and Carolyn and the girls, I remember hearing some shuffling and moving around upstairs. And I asked, uh, someone must be upstairs. Uh, the girls told us, oh, no, we hear that just about every day. You know, it's just <laughs> noises upstairs. Yeah. So the interview recommenced and I made my way out, just kind of easily made my way upstairs and uh, I was poking around a bit. I was in what's kind of a hallway, and uh, there were bedrooms up there. And as uh, out of the corner, as I was looking at, out of a window of one of the bedrooms, but I was still in that hallway area, I saw out of. I remember it was my peripheral vision, my right side. I saw something black seemed to be coming at me. So I reflexively turned to the right, and uh, there's this black cloud thing rolling down the hallway towards me now my first thought in that first split second was there's a fire in the house right you know and i'm gonna smell smoke so it came it rolled rapidly up toward me and i closed my eyes and i opened my eyes and this was gone i know i saw it i had time to observe it but it just dissipated it was just gone and uh what's interesting just to jump ahead is that now uh there are people who still see that cloud-like misty black formation 
um, whatever it is, they still see it there. And that will tie into our later conversation if we touch on shadow persons. Yeah, which I would like to, um, because we did have... uh, They look like people. Yeah, yeah, we had Corey and Jen on uh, the Heinzens who bought the house, and they were talking about still seeing that that shadow, that that dark cloud uh, coming out word, of one of the bedrooms. Yeah, that's what I was seeing there 46 years ago. Right. I mean, I reported that. So uh, then I went back downstairs and, you know, I, I looked at my brother, Keith, as if to say, i got something to tell you. And then uh, eventually I went down to the basement. Everybody else seemed hesitant to go down to that basement. And I went down there and... Uh, uh, it was enough light coming down from the uh, the upstairs and shining on the stairwell that I didn't bring a flashlight uh, looking around. So I'm making my way around to one of the rooms in, in the basement, and uh, all of a sudden the light bulb went off on me. And I'm in almost total darkness. Wow. And if you can imagine a 17-year-old Carl just standing there saying, oh, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah. But I felt my way out of the room, and you know I could see the stairwell, and I made my way up. It was just amusing not really spooky uh except for an eerie feeling persistent feeling of being watched like something was observing me i couldn't shake that so uh we made our way the pyro team made our way back up to the uh where the bedrooms were on the second floor and there was a window in one of these rooms that would not shut now this was a sweltering august late afternoon Mm -hmm. and i tried to shut that window i couldn't budget Roger parents told me, oh, that's just stuck open. I can't budget either. Well, uh, my brother tried something of an experiment. He started to recite a biblical psalm. As he did so, that window just slammed shut on its own. And at that moment, we heard a slapping sound. And one of the girls, was, I don't remember if it was Judy or what, one of the girls suddenly uh, felt as though she was slapped in her face. We heard it. And she had finger marks on her face. So that was quite dramatic for our first visit. And we paid a series of successive visits to the parents' family. And uh, by September, we decided, my brother and I talked about it, we decided we would uh, invite Ed and Lorraine Warren, with whom we were acquainted, to uh, assist in investigating in that house. And it's not as though we felt we were in trouble or over our heads, even though we were quite young. We just thought it would be a nice touch uh, for the parents to bring in the experienced Edwin and Lorraine Warren. Right. Um, well, we did so, and I remember helping to conduct that tour of the house. I remember greeting Ed and Lorraine when they pulled up in the driveway at the Round Top Hill Farm, and that was a pleasant exchange. Uh, however, after that, uh, we didn't hear from Carol and Perrin for some time, and I was her main contact. And eventually she did call, and she informed me that the Warrens had told them, the parent, Roger and uh, Carol and Perrin, uh, that they couldn't be of any help unless they were the only investigators present. You know, They said, we were just a bunch of kids and we couldn't do any good. They had to be the sole investigators there. Wow. So that ended our, um, at least uh, on that level, our association with the parents. Um, but I remember Carol and Perrin was calling me easily 8, 10, 12 times a day day after day to report what was happening in her house, which I had invited her to do. She was welcome to call me. And I remember I was, of course, living in my parents' house. And my father said, 
who is this woman that keeps calling you? Is this a girlfriend? <laughs> I said, no, not, not, not exactly, Dad, no. Uh, I was on the phone with Carolyn. One day she was slicing an orange on her kitchen counter, and what seemed to be blood oozed out of that orange onto her feet. And I was right on the phone with her when that happened. And I would hear the background noises. It's not as though the parents were being driven out of their house, but at last they had somebody they could consult and speak to, somebody who, you know, a team that believed them. Right. Wouldn't doubt what they were telling us. And if it weren't for the uh, intervention of the Warrens, and you know, they hadn't promoted the movie, uh, and the movie had been made The Conjuring, it would have been an interesting case, but... Uh, it wouldn't have been that outstanding. It would have done just one more case file that we uh, remembered from the past. But because it became a movie, then it became like, you know, the, one of the top hauntings in the country. You know, it was, it was yeah, there was definitely paranormal, paranormal activity there. But its notoriety blew that somewhat out of proportion. It was li- a livable place. Uh, they had a good life there, did the parents, for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, some spooky things would happen, but many days were business as usual. Yeah, they. Uh, of course, we had no inkling. Yeah, if I know that was going to become a movie, I would have taken pictures galore, and you know, <laughs> with the with the, the with the passing year, months and years, the pictures and the recordings become lost. And uh, right. um, we, uh, I gave my case file, our our pyro case file, to Ed Warren, with you know the guarantee that he would return that to us. And Carolyn Perrin had been doing research on the house's history. And she gave her research and her notes to Lorraine Warren, and Lorraine promised she would promptly return them. Well, we never saw those materials again. Right, Warren's I remember kept hearing them. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Ed and Lorraine Warren felt it was not good policy to return what they deemed evidence, even though it was not theirs. Wow. So that's it in a nutshell, how we uh, were involved with the uh, Roger and Carolyn Perrin case in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Well, thank you for summing that up. Uh, I know there's there have been some extraordinary things that have happened there. I, you know, I've read Andrea's books, and you're you're right. There sure, there are times yeah, where it was days. You know, you know it sometimes would go months yeah. and nothing would happen. Right um, now, I could uh, I could devote the whole show to talking about this, but you know that's the basics of it. Yeah, there yeah. are many interesting things that happened there, but it, uh, I didn't feel it was anything that would drive a family out of their home. You know, it was just it was one more, but a unique situation mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it seemed like a number of the spirits there you know they got along with quite well there's you know the little boy they would play with upstairs and the the one that they yeah. would always call manny and yeah. um it seemed like there was only you know i mean maybe a handful of times where things kind of you know got you know out of hand but um mm-hmm. yeah well they, those things become out of hand when they occur at night it's the it's the startling factor when you're trying to go to bed and you hear thumping on the wall or see a figure mm-hmm. flit across the room. Yeah, that's going to be perturbing. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't of a level that it would drive a family out of there, I don't think. Right. You know, and with all those many years and the memories that house had absorbed, of course there would be a child spirit and uh, and others. You know, child mm-hmm. spirits for some reason they tend to stick around. So interesting. So the, the, go ahead, oh, Katie. I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> no, I was. The, the, I was going to go back to the black mask. Um, the black yeah, mask. Yeah, the black mask or the black mist yeah. uh, fog yeah. that you saw or smoke. Yeah, Why it's you- hard to say because it wasn't a shape. It, it was amorphous. So it's hard to mm-hmm. say that that form or that, you know, blob. It was you know, pretty right. much was a blob. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so clearly know, some I, kind that. of energy that... Yes, it was an energy also. containment. Why it was black, I don't know. It was the level of uh, mm-hmm. energy it was absorbing and then radiating back. For some reason, the frequency or the level of that energy projected it as black, or rather the absence of light. We say black because it's hard to describe mm-hmm. nothing. But it was just, a, it had an opacity to it. You, you could see it blocked out. Vaguely, I could see uh, objects behind it and the doorway behind it. Um mm-hmm. But I think it was black just because of its uh, vibratory level. You know, some things would be, some manifestations would be whitish. This one just happens to be black. It doesn't mean that it was especially menacing. That's just how it appeared to our human eyes. Wow. How our eyes interpreted it. Yeah, I like how you talked about, um, you know, how how it vibrates. I I think that uh, we each, even individually, resonate at it at a different level and we throw something uh, past you here which um throws it into a different dimensional you know plane it's right uh, it's it's here and yet it's not you know i didn't i didn't feel it when it came i didn't feel cold i didn't feel anything about it i didn't smell it uh it just came upon me and engulfed me um but you know it's like i said here yet not here another dimension but it's close enough to our own reality we could, I could perceive it, and others have, but it's still in the house, whatever it is. Yeah, because the Heinzens have it's, seen it. Yeah, it it scares people. It's startling, but I, I don't think it's especially harmful. If you could know when it was going to appear and just you know observe it, then it wouldn't be so so right. seemingly threatening. It's just that it comes there when mm-hmm. you know will suddenly show up when you don't expect it. So it's a spooky thing. Right, and let me uh, let me throw this past you. So. Um, Shauna and I, my significant other, um, we have a, uh, interesting dichotomy between us where she sees more apparitions than shadows and I see more shadows than apparitions. And this is, I hearken this back to when you were talking about the vibrational level. And I think, you know, we're each personally resonating at different levels. And so there are times in which like that, that black shadow mass up there maybe she wouldn't have seen it but maybe i would have if we were still if we were each standing in that hall because Mm -hmm. of the way we resonate i don't know if that's kind of the way you know you perhaps see these things as well i have but i and i've gone to where they have been reported but it's pretty much by chance that i will see these things you know i can't go into a place necessarily and say oh i sense it the shadow person's here and there he is or there it is it just it's more like chance when I happen to see them. Well, I'm employed at a historic Slater Mill site in Pawtucket, mm-hmm. Rhode Island, the seat of the American Industrial Revolution, the start of the real factories in our country. And all three buildings in the grounds have paranormal are subject to paranormal activity. And uh, you know who usually sees ghosts looking out of the window or shadowy forms? Tourists who have been there for the first time. Happen <laughs> to see something looking out the window or passing mm-hmm. through these windows. And... Uh, yeah, you know, people have worked there for 10, 12 years and not seen anything. I have. I've worked there for 13 years and I just have sometimes been in the right place at the right time to observe this phenomena. Yeah, you were showing me a, uh, a photograph from Slater Mill. Where... Oh, a photograph, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so and I want to get some of those photographs to you. Uh, there is a photo now something endemic to the shadow ghosts, which is poorly understood if, if at all 
is that uh, they are very elusive. I don't think they want to be seen. And they're usually not. I don't think our, our you know, um, vision is equipped to perceive them normally. Uh, but they can show up in photographs and in mirrors. That can reveal the shadow person. Uh, in fact, you bring a, a mirror into a paranormal investigation, that increases your chances of observing a shadow ghost, shadow person. Uh, they'll show up in a reflection, they'll show up in a photograph, not as often and you know, visually. So, which is interesting, some interesting property about them. They've got to be on some other uh, vibratory level. Yeah, that is, to not be able to look right at them and see them most times. That is kind of interesting because I know when we had a uh, conversation some weeks back, we didn't really talk about mirrors. So that's kind of an interesting point about how uh, these things may be able to be seen through uh, other objects like that. And you know, there's a lot of theories with mirrors about you know, them possibly being uh, portals or a, at least a, a means to access a portal. So. Yes. You think that they has something be, to do with it? I believe it does because they're going to pick up things that we don't normally uh, witness ourselves. So it's, it's nice to have in your uh, your supply of paranormal investigating tools. Nice to have a mirror uh, to try and catch things and look in that from time to time. Mm-hmm. Actually, the shadow person in uh, it's located in the Wilkinson Mill on Slater Mill grounds, which was constructed in 1810. And we have no idea why there's a shadow person in there, the shadowy form. And it does take on a human form, too. And, uh, I mean, human in the, in fact, in the sense of an outline of a human being. Uh, we have started to give a little token to the shadow person. I mean, we people who come in there to investigate, I will have a bowl of uh, smooth black stones, and I invite persons to toss one of these stones into the water wheel pit. That was the source of power for the uh, for the mill. To toss a, a stone into the wheel water of the wheel pit, and that's a little token. It's like somewhat like paying the ferryman hmm. that uh, cavorts the souls of the recent dead across the river Styx into the afterlife. So you know. So instead of just going in there saying show yourself or hoping he shows up, we give a little token of respect. Yeah. He's not. He's not very friendly. Uh, this, I say he because, well, it was only men who were working in that mill at the time, operating at that level. So, um, you know, that's a little token of respect for our friend there, or our entity. You know, and he seems to have been making more appearances since we've been doing that. I'll pass around the bowl. People take out a stone, toss it in. I, said, well, That's good. I don't know if it would help him. I don't think he grants wishes, but you know. <laughs> He's not thing. a genie. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, know, you know, coins were placed on the eyes of the dead so that they could uh, pay the ferryman. Right. You know, who would ferry them over the river sticks to the yeah. afterlife. Yeah. You know, and um, mm-hmm. yeah. so it's kind of like a long historical, I guess, perspective too on the mirrors. Yeah. On the mirrors, though. Um, Back in the Victorian era, they covered the mirrors during funerals because they they didn't want their spirits to get trapped in the mirrors. So maybe that even kind of oh, yes. has a correlation that, with yeah. you know, mirrors today. So, well, in a mirror, that reflection is it replicates our world. It's another world, you know, seen in reverse. And you can almost imagine yourself yeah. stepping into that world, like what's on the other side, through the looking glass. 
And there might be some sound basis to that. Yeah. And uh, yes, in fact, the uh, shadow mm-hmm. person seemed to have been demonstrating itself uh, just um, Saturday before last, it's later mill site, because we had some persons there for the, uh, well, we had the public ghost hunts. You know, people could come in for a fee and, and you know, investigate with us. And uh, it's called Mills and Mysteries, a Ghostly Experience. It's a program that I uh, initiated for Slater Mill. And, uh, well, we broke the uh, teams up into, you know, three groups came up in. And, uh, well, with the middle group of the night, the second one, uh, we tossed these smooth black stones into the wheel pit. And it's like a well. And then we heard... You know, and we went to dark, turned out all the lights. And as I was uh, trying to coax the shadow person to come forward and saying where he's, it's usually seen, then we heard a shriek. I don't know how else to describe it. It was a shriek. It sounded like a woman's shriek, which is strange because I expected a masculine presence, but uh, if anything, but it was a woman's shriek and it was quite audible and it was disembodied. There was none of the people there. And then... I saw a woman almost fall over, a young woman. She was pulled. Her arm and shoulder were pulled. I could see she was being pulled. Hmm. Another lady, a moment later, had her hair lifted. Her hair just went up like somebody was pulling it up. So that was active. That session was active. Yeah, yeah that's, that so, is... And I, I, I like to think it was our shadow person in there that was uh, demonstrating its uh, presence. Yeah, um, Alina, the fan. We do have some questions and comments coming in from the chat room. Um, and okay, that so that many one, things I want to mention. To yeah, you, yeah, right? no, my definitely. New, my uh, new endeavors, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. But this is a uh, this is an interesting um, kind of a question. So sure. she says, "I've always wondered why certain shadow people lurk and don't want to be seen." Now, yours there at Slater Mill seem to be pretty active, but there's other ones that just you you look at them; they're kind of standing in the corner. Um, you know, or they might be in a doorway or something like that. So why do you think that may be where some are more interactive and others? Yeah, you know, there's something about the shadow person, shadow ghost. That you see them on the corner of your eye, and then if you, sometimes you'll turn and look, and there they are in the doorway, which is a spooky concept yeah. scenario. You know? um, I think they, they're not normally perceived anyway, but I don't think they want to be revealed. They have an intelligence about them. I don't know what they are. They you say they're inhuman, which may hint at demonic, but they're they can appear in vaguely human form. They're around us. They're probably around us a lot more than we know. But sometimes we're just at the right place in that right moment where we can see them. I don't think they make themselves visible intentionally. I suppose that's possible. Um, we just happen to glimpse them, like you know they're. They're suddenly revealed. But I, I do have several pictures of a, a shadow person. Uh, one was taken in the Lizzie Borden house in Fall River, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. where the murders were uh, right. committed in 1892. And, um, well, one of my brother's team was taking a picture of a foyer because she saw some movement in there. So she took her camera out and took a picture hoping to get a ghost in, in the picture. Well, the picture is unremarkable. There's a set A and a window until you look in a mirror on an old dresser. In the mirror, you can see a black shadowy figure. 
So it seems that the shadow person was revealed in that mirror. Another one, I actually, I have two more uh, shadow person pictures, and they were taken in the Wilkinson Mill, you know, that uh, where the, it usually shows up if it's going to. And um, they're quite interesting. I'm going to try and have them copied for you, Mike, and uh, I've got to get around to that very soon. And uh, they're laminated, so I'm going to, don't know how because I thought I would keep the original email you know, files that had them and they've been lost. Right. Um, but you know maybe this uh, copy person I know runs a copy shop. She can work with it and try to get a good image and see if you can use that for an upcoming book or just for your own re- reference. Yeah, we had talked about but, uh, you know possibly yeah. using those in in the book, which would be fantastic. Um, so that's uh, a walk in the shadows coming out in January. So it's coming up pretty quick here. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Well, I hope you can, you'll be able to use it. In fact, yeah. I, I come to think of it, I have another per, another shadow ghost picture that was taken at Slater Mill site, and that shows a friend of mine, Betty Malazzo, psychically gifted, a medium, and she was holding her hands out, trying to feel for a spirit. There's a the spirit of what we think is a young boy in Slater Mill proper. Slater Mill was built in 1793. Mm-hmm. And uh, Betty is in there, and in one picture, it's totally normal looking, and the next one, taken just a second later, uh, her face has like a call over it, almost like a veil. It's it's blotted out by something black and mysterious. Cannot explain that. Okay. And uh, when you, uh, if you lighten the picture, you can vaguely see... Uh, Betty's face through that black mist or black veil. And so that's one I can send you too. I know I can get a good image of that. Yeah, that'd be great. Absolutely. Mm. So I have a uh, interesting question here. Oh, and we have a uh, we have $5 super chat that just came in from Andrew and his trucking gnome says Halloween is just a few days away. So thank you very much, Andrew. Appreciate that. And we also did have a 99 cent one from Tom McNicholas earlier who has this question. This is kind of similar to the one you threw at me a couple of years ago there um, at the Assembly Theater in uh, Harrisville during the Ocean State Paracon. Yeah. So he asks, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he asks, have you ever heard or communicated with a shadow person? <sighs> and we had talked about voices. I, yeah. Like they have voices. Sometimes they do. That's interesting that they will have a voice sometimes. What are these things? They've got an intelligence about them. Yeah, but it's more like telepathic, um, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you can hear them. It's almost like a pounding in your in your ear. They're trying to talk to you. I've heard that. And they're not so much articulating words. It sounds like they're trying to get through or trying to speak. And I've heard that in, in that Wilkinson Mill, the stone mill, uh, built in 1810. Uh, I've heard that voice. It's a resonance. It's almost like if I could just listen, I can understand what they're saying, but I can't quite understand what it's saying or they're saying. It's like a thud, thudding in my ear, but it is words. Just can't figure out what they are. And uh, well, one time I was going into this mill, this building, with an investigating team. And as soon as we entered the mill, we heard this terrific crash, like some big panel or wall falling over. But I went upstairs and it what the sound it emitted from, and there was nothing, uh, nothing up there that had fallen. So yeah, it it made a noise. I didn't see what it, anything it could have pushed, but yeah, they they talked to us. Maybe they're talking amongst themselves, or maybe they're well, trying they to be. speak to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Well, with sophisticated recording equipment, we could probably detect that as an EVP and pick up on what they're saying. But isn't that something to think that a shadow person could, you know, have a conversation with you or is trying to talk to you? My question would be, what are you? Exactly. Yeah, I kind of humorously. Can you, can you tell us? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of humorously say sometimes that, you know, we're not really going to truly know what these things are until we sit down and have a conversation with one. But when was the last time we actually sat down and had a conversation with the shadow person? Say, hey, what are you? <laughs> you can only hope, right? <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Won't stick around that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've also uh, probed Slater Millstite with uh, my team member. Um, I was actually, she's the director, uh, Elise Carlson, Elise Jamarco Carlson. She is the director of Panorama Paranormal. Yeah, she was in the chat a little bit earlier. So sorry there. Hello, Elise. Oh, she was. She was. Hello, Elise. Yes. She knows what we're about tonight. Yeah. (laughs) And Elise gave a series of talks, lectures and demonstrations on divination. And they were nothing short of excellent. She gave such a good presentation. Those were conducted in the Sylvanus Brown House and also on Slater Mill Grounds. And she demonstrated the pendulum and dowsing rods. And uh, people just love this. Uh, And also a Ouija board. There was a Ouija board present. One of those glow in the dark. And this was all in the 1758 house. So it's a perfect setting for a talk on and and demonstration on divination. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's an active uh, Halloween season. A couple of things real quick here. We have a $10 super chat from Deborah Goldstein. Mueller says, great show. And then a $2 uh, super chat from Trucker David Wise says, hope everyone has a wonderful Halloween. So thank you guys. Th- thank you both very, very much for that. Absolutely appreciate it. Um, wonderful and a safe Halloween. Yes, yes. Mm. <laughs> so a um, couple other things here. So these these shadows. And you know, this is a time of year people are talking about Halloween. Um, and people talk about the, you know, quote unquote, thinning of the veil. Um, do you notice, yeah. cause you've been doing this a long time. Um, do you, do you see more activity this time of year? Do you see, you know, more of this shadow play this time of year, or is it just really all year round? Well, yes and no, it's, it is more year round. Um, it depends on your location as well. Uh, but traditionally Samhain, or Halloween is the evening where the veil between the living and the dead, uh, material and thought or spirit is rent thin. It's at its thinnest. It's, uh, becomes flimsy and spirits are thought to be able to more readily cross over through that veil into our world. And, uh, there may be something to it because it was believed in for so long. Um, people are doing more spooky and, and paranormal things around this time of year. Right. Uh-huh. You kind of put yourself in the uh-huh. mood for it this time of year. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. And on the positive of that, I've always felt kind of an eerie. And it goes back to my childhood when I, you know, Halloween is five days away. Now it's two days away. To, <laughs> tomorrow night when the sun sets, like it's setting now, that's going to be Halloween. I was so excited about that. Right. And, it, and Halloween night has a, I don't know how to describe it. It has a 
a radiation to it. It has a, a shimmering to it. There's something magical afoot. I'm aware it's Halloween night, and I'm sure that's associational. You know, remembering all the good Halloweens we had. Back when it was so exciting to be dressed up and go out all on <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I would start thinking about Halloween when it turned September, you know, like August. September now, one month before the Halloween month, October. And I remember being in elementary school, seeing the cardboard uh, decorations. It was just pumpkins and skulls. And it was just so, so downright magical. That was true magic. Yes, yeah, so it's definitely a magical time of year. I don't know how much is actually being broadcast because so many people are aware it's Halloween. How much is somewhat supernatural and how much is because I remember good Halloween. So I'd always feel that eeriness and the monster movies would be on. Would oh, be yes. A series of uh, classic monster films which start off with Frankenstein and, you know, 1931 <laughs> Frankenstein. It would go to Dracula, then the Wolfman, uh, <laughs> Then the Invisible Man and Phantom of the Opera would have all five. Or oh, the Mummy. The Mummy was in there too. The, the Mummy. Apollo. There you go. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I believe that was 1932. It's all beautiful movies. And uh, so there, there's always something special about Halloween. Now, because my mother recently passed, this will be a very sad time for me. Yeah. You know, but it will be a beautiful time as well because I'm remembering all the Halloween she made special for us and the song Halloween song my father would sing yeah so it's very reflective so Halloween is still magical just in a, with a different mode to it so uh, yeah there's something about Halloween being truly magical it's a night for the kids they're having fun and uh, I don't know what it is about Halloween besides what I've told you that as soon as the sun sets you know, because we sunset there and I feel the magic coming in. I feel this presence of Halloween, the spirit of Halloween. <laughs> uh, I figure it's got to be real to other people too. Oh, I know it's certainly real for me. Katie, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> you going my out Halloween you? decorations on yeah. September 1st. Yeah. So. <laughs> are, you gonna you go are you guys have plans or are you going to receive the trick-or-treaters? Uh, well, it's supposed to snow here in good old Iowa, so my son is only oh going to be yeah. actually. So, um, so not we have a costume for him, but I don't know if we're going to be out. Just will be a little too cold. So, yeah, it can be chilly. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I want to watch myself on television that night. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, your show comes out. <laughs> yeah, yep, your show is. Uh, uh, going to Ghost be coming Adventures. out the Ghost Adventures. Ghost yeah, Adventures. Yeah, their two-hour Halloween special yep. on the Travel Channel, and before that is going to be on the Travel Channel, uh, most terrifying places in America. Interesting. I, I mentioned Elise Jamarco Carlson, and um, she is the president of Johnston Historical Society in Rhode Island. And on their grounds, their property is a house that the society owns. It's the Elijah Angel House, the 1825 Elijah Angel House. And that was actually used for filming of the Travel Channel uh, special because they did a special on, on the Conjuring House. Oh, okay. The Parent House. Okay. And uh, contractually, they couldn't use the interior of that house because the other show was filming there. They filmed the exteriors of that house, that farmhouse. But... Uh, Mrs. Carlson was gracious enough to 
to invite the travel channel. Well, they contacted her uh, about this house and um, they'd heard of it through channels. And uh, Elise Carlson, she went in with her camcorder and uh, did a sweep of the house and narrated it and showed what features of the house were the interior. And they actually filmed the interior setting was, was that actually the Elijah Angel House in Johnston, Rhode Island. Oh, wow. So that's something we're going to be looking for, uh-huh. the reenactment there. That's so funny. first you see that house, that's the Conjuring House, and then they do the uh, the overnight investigation. Actually, I think there were three overnights that the uh, Ghost Adventures team did at the Round Top Hill Farmhouse. Yeah, I heard they were there for several nights. So mm-hmm. it be interesting to see what they get. Yeah, still yeah. suffering a breathing problem. I know Zach Bagans is, you know. Oh, what a nice association that was. I mean, I didn't know how it would go. I thought it might be kind of perfunctory. I was, you know, requested my president and my brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they wanted to interview us. And, uh, mm-hmm. But then the investigation began early, earlier than scheduled because things were, wasn't supposed to start till the next night. But uh, activity started to kick up in the house. So the Ghost Adventures team went into action. Mm-hmm. And they actually invited me in on that investigation. Oh, great. Oh, so wow. that's something to watch, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, not to give too much away, but I remember I was sitting at a console uh, watching the, you know, the different screens and different rooms. And uh, they're uh, monitoring what was going on in the house. Mm-hmm. And, and then it got more active. And I remember Mr. Bagan, Zach Bagan, said, get Carl up here. I want Carl in here. So it's uh, <laughs> became part of that investigation. Interesting. Well, it'll definitely be looking it was, forward to it checking wasn't it out. Oh yeah, it's all genuine. That was no not scripted. I mean, I didn't know how it would go. I hadn't oh, sure. worked with them directly before. That yeah. we knew of each other, but that was uh, that was an yeah. exciting news. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there was a genuine thunderstorm going on outside. Very you know rainy night. Uh, so they didn't need the special effects for that. <laughs> there was actually a thunderstorm all the time we were there. <laughs> they were reminiscent of the old uh, gothic funny. soap opera. When we worked with them, there was a tornado. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do these yeah. guys bring weather with them or what? follow them. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was so uh, yeah. We worked with them was... back in 2015, and there was tornado warnings and everything. So, Wow. They, yeah, they're atmospheric. Or yeah. 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 It's a good I mean, I had to feel it. I mean, I've been in that house a number of times and I know it has haunting, you know, paranormal activity, but, but I had to be kind of spooked in that house. You couldn't help but feel it because you felt the dampness. It was summer, you know, so you feel this like, um, steamy dampness. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thunderstorm is going on outside, which, you know, lowered the temperature. And it's like uh, outside anyway. And, um, it's just like, this is a spooky place. It really is. You know, it's because we had all the lights off in the investigation. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, the nighttime portion of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good stuff. Good, good. We'll definitely be looking forward to that on mm-hmm. Thursday, actually, on Halloween night. Uh, we yeah. do have a couple questions here from the chat that I've kind of been uh, hanging on to throughout the show that I do want to get well, to. I hope, so. Yeah, I hope we get to talk about Shadow Realms and Demonology. We will, yes. Before we sign off. We, we definitely yeah. will. No, we, we definitely we, will. But um, this, this one from... Of course. Yeah. 
This one from uh, Betty Lange, which is an interesting question. How have your views changed through the years? Well, I uh, started off believing that all spirits were divided into three categories. They were uh, either the souls of departed human beings, deceased people, ghosts, and then there would be the uh, atmospheric or residual haunting that are just playbacks out of time and they're not aware of us, and the inhuman, the demonic. Maybe a fourth category could be a poltergeist. But I see now that these, uh, these different categories blend more. Sometimes the residual hauntings are aware of us. Sometimes we can't determine whether it's a human haunting or a demonic, if indeed there is a real difference. Um, I've learned that I, after 46 years, I still don't know what a ghost is. <laughs> I have ideas. Uh, it ties into quantum mechanics, and that's what uh, you know, um, Elise Carlson has been uh, researching. And You know, that's that's fair enough, you know. I mean, yeah, I, I, think I always we say that. A resonance. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that you yeah. know, a lot of what we're doing is, I mean, it's all theory to this point to try to prove these, you know, I mean, we have these experiences, uh, but very, very difficult to to actually put your finger on exactly what it is that's happening. Right. So I think, I think I've learned more what I don't know than what I know. <laughs> but yeah. basically these categories aren't, aren't as decisive as I once thought them to be. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they lap over, they blend. Sometimes the poltergeist, uh, poltergeist is a ghost. Yep. Sometimes what seems to be demonic is acting very much like a poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, that, sometimes that human spirit seems rather menacing. And then the shadow person, that throws everything we think we know about paranormal <laughs> research out the window. True enough. So, True enough. Uh, yeah. I've been having so there, a heck of a time with that. Less definite. Yeah. I'd say I've learned less. there are less definites than I originally conceptualized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Carl, let's talk about it. Shadow realms. Okay. So there yes. is the book, everybody. Shadow Realms Demonology. That is Handbook. the book co authored with Lana Brock, Lana Jan Brock. And that took a couple of years to write because I would go through periods where, you know, uh, I and she would write a little bit and then write a lot and then take a month off and take three months off. But eventually it was uh, put together. I thought Shadow Realms would be like a chap book, like a reference book you could throw in your backpack. And I still want it to be a reference book that people take into a paranormal investigation. And it's predicated on my and our experiences. You know, it's not the definitive work on paranormal research. It's just, these are my experiences. This is what I might have done differently. This is what I encountered. See if it can help you. That's the intent of the book. And it was going to be, I think, well, we'll get it up to a hundred pages maybe if we really work on it with photographs and all that that actually became precisely 300 pages and uh it's a series of essays and case histories from our files and uh, things i've encountered over the years and um, also some theory the earlier chapters have to do with theory and recounting uh some of my personal experiences yeah, it's um, it's definitely been a uh, interesting book because I've I've gone through this and I, I think a lot of it. While you do have the personal experiences in there, I, I think a lot of it you can use as a reference book. So it's yeah, I visualized it being something that you know, if you you've got it in your case, 
So your backpack, when you're, when you're going into a paranormal setting to investigate or to intercede, intervene on people's behalf. And, uh, you know, you might want to take that, oh, what did uh, Carl and Lana have to say about this or that? You know, what about this, you know? Is there anything about poltergeist here? What about uh, wicked spirits or, you know, maybe a succubus or an incubus? Let's look that up. And, because it has a, a glossary of terms and an index so you can easily reference right. different points. And again, it's from it's from my and our perspectives. You know, it's not necessarily what will work for everybody, but this is what we went through. This is what I might have experienced at one time or another. You know, maybe you can learn from that. This is how I might have done it differently. This is what I thought worked, that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, and I think with some wow. of the, uh, you know, with some of the accounts that you give in here, uh, you know, experiences that you've had, I think people can, you know, relate to. Hey, I've had that experience too. You know, here's what Carl or Lana did in that particular situation, and so I, I think that helps people to actually be able to relate at maybe a little bit more personal level. So you kind of have a little bit of everything going on in here. Yes. Yeah, I, that's a, it's a very eclectic. Uh, works compilation of uh, essays and, and uh, case files, you know, some of my own speculation on it, you know, uh, you might like that chapter misleadings in media. <laughs> I think my favorite chapter that I wrote is uh, beware those dolls, you know, it's about people who are freaked out by dolls. There's your chapter, you know, there, you, a lot go. Of us there are. you go. Yeah. A lot of people do get creeped out by the dolls. Oh, you can't help but personalize them. You know, they they got right. a presence to them. You know, you're wondering if those little eyes going to follow us or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when I see a doll in the room, it's, if it's a paranormal setting, I'm waiting for like, did it, is this going to be moved? It's going to be like in a different position, a pose when I look at it again. I've seen enough television shows and movies about that. You know? Well, and, and a um, lot of the television shows these days and movies, of course, that kind of, depict everything as being a demon and Rebecca Rebecca Gardner had a good question in here you know how do you feel about the fact that so many people now claim demons when it's probably really a grumpy or irritable spirit mm-hmm. yeah difficult or impossible to differentiate there um, there are signs that would should reveal a demon uh, you usually feel a strong presence you feel that something unwholesome has entered the room uh, you may feel detect foul odors and temperature will drop dramatically and people are pinched or slashed, you know, abrasions appear on the skin. That's probably something demonic and human. Um, then you get an ornery spirit that's throwing some things around or appearing, you know, it's hard to say that that may not be classically demonic though. It may just be an attitude that carried over from, uh, a once living person. Right. So you can make an evaluation, if not a determination, as to whether it's uh, demonic or human generated. Uh, often, if it's a demonic case and it's a stronger one, you you will eventually become aware of it. A uh, classic symptom of the demonic is uh, a child in the house will be seeing uh, a person that comes in. It's usually it's usually a lady, but it can be you know some friend, some ghost friend, some imaginary friend that comes in to visit the child. And after several visitations, it becomes menacing, like I've heard, which is particularly disturbing, of a, a little girl in Brooklyn, New York, was seeing this. She had a lady coming into a room, and at first she thought it was an angel visiting her, but then she was crying to her mother. She said, 
you know, lady's turning mean now. She smiled and her teeth were pointed. Ooh. And she doesn't have eyes anymore. You know, and it's okay. Mm. It's demonic. The child is picking up on it. Now, of course, you get into child psychology and is this an imaginary friend or is this a persistent nightmare? But then the adults start to see it. Right. And then it's, uh, then we evaluate that as demonic or probably demonic, you know. And, and it's like, you know, it's the difference between a bacterial infection and a virus. A ghost haunting a, you know, human generated spirit can be likened to a bacteria. It, you can be inoculated. You can be treated for that. Sometimes if you tell the ghost, leave me alone, it will abate. It will go away at least for a while if it's a human-generated spirit. Uh, with the demonic, it's more like a virus. Antibiotics don't treat it. It has to uh, be resisted calmly but steadily and uh, basically ignored, which is hard to do, and then it tends to lose power. The demonic haunt won't persist for as long as the human haunt. A human haunt can stay around for a century or more. Uh, they all tend to run out of steam after a while. I mean, haunting isn't perpetual. The batteries get low somehow. And uh, yeah, a place can only be haunted for so long. Um, historic hauntings tend to pers you know, persist the most. They can go on for centuries. The Tower of London, for instance. But there's right. a lot of you know reports and hearsay. Uh, Demonic haunt, that tends to come on suddenly. I have noticed that unlike with the human haunts, I'll call them, the demonic haunting, a demonic attack, uh, always involves some kind of psychological trauma or some unresolved issue. There always has to be some disturbance that, uh, that invited this or, or weakened the subject, and then it comes in. Uh, you know, you probe long enough, something happened there, something weird, something in the family's history, in the individual's history, personal history. So you can address it that way if the trauma is resolved or the uh, issue uh, addressed, then that will weaken the demonic haunt. You know, but there's no surefire. There's, there's actually no, and I state this in Shadow Realms, there's no outright cure for a haunted house or a demonic attack. You know, you just kind of have to wear it away, wait it out, employ what methods you can that seem effective. Every every situation is unique. And uh, so it's not like somebody can come in and guarantee your house is going to be cleansed of its spirit <laughs> right. presence. But with a human spirit, you can just aggravate them so that they don't want to show up anymore. <laughs> I'll tell sure you, sometimes enough. mediums, nothing personal <laughs> against them, but mediums and psychics can irritate a ghost so much that it just like stops showing up. Like that's enough. <laughs> and they just get tired of it. Skep yeah. yeah. There's the famous, you know, uh, axiom of a skeptic becoming a believer because he or she sees something ghostly. Mm -hmm. But usually the skeptic will scoff so much that, you know, they're trying to make a point. He didn't prove this to me. There's no ghost to the, the spirit. Just I'm nuts to you and doesn't show up anymore. I don't know how that works, but it tends to. It drains the spirit's battery, as I was calling it. You know, so you, there are ways, but some unorthodox ways of uh, quelling a haunting or lessening a haunting. And I've heard of people who have, you know, come to some sort of agreement and have cohabitated with the spirits in their home. You know, and yeah, every, and every I didn't once mind a while, the spirit in my parents' house. Yeah, yeah. and then it's welcome. You know, some many people that I visited have called us into. Uh, with the various groups of, uh, which, which I've been associated, they don't want the they don't want the spirit to go away. 
some of them may say they do, but they are so enthusiastic about this haunting and we're giving them validation <laughs> by re, by investigating their house and researching the house and uh, supposedly haunted that they, you know, they are into it. Like, you know, that's why sometimes you'll say, well, you know, we've done our best and we think it's gone. It's clear. And then two weeks later, they're calling us it's back again. Right. <laughs> they really didn't. Many people didn't want it to go in the first place because it, for one thing, there's something a psychological and paranormal projection where actually people impose their problems onto the ghost. Everything was all right before this, this house became haunted. You get the ghost away and then we'll be all right again. And you find out really wasn't all right. And uh, the the ghost gives them a medium to uh, to explain their disruptions, you know, maybe their personal issues. You know, the ghost is making this happen. And it may be to some degree, but sometimes... Paranormal manifestations are more symptoms than they are causes of the discord in the home. Right. You know, it's like the house in Brooklyn, New York, I was thinking. I was telling my team, I was was a member of TAPS, the Atlantic Paranormal Society at the time. I said, you know, I'd be surprised if this house wasn't haunted. You know, this is this. uh, The paranormal activity is just a symptom of what's been transpiring here in past months and years. They had a very, uh, uh, very disturbing history, a very interesting history. Mm-hmm. And I think that resulted in the paranormal. The paranormal didn't cause the disruptions. Right. If you well, know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I totally yeah. understand what you're saying, but we are actually... the chicken or the egg. Out of time? We are. are we're at our hour mark. Are you, you going to it? say that terrible thing you you guys always say? We're out of time. I hate to say it too. When we're on a roll, we are on a roll. And there's comments in the chat that are saying Carl is so fun to listen to, very educational. Uh, so yeah. you coax me, you open me up, and now you shut yeah, me down. We go. Need to have a two-hour show with you, huh? We we should. Uh, yeah. It should be. Well, let's do it again soon. Let's do it by year's end or early in the new year. Yeah, let's do, do it. Yeah, I have to be early in the new year because we're booked up for the rest of the year. In fact, we have your brother on next week. <laughs> oh, aren't you popular? Yeah. Okay, all right. Maybe but I'll call in and ask a long you question. Could. You could. Add, you could call right in, sure. <laughs> Get in the chat room at least, yeah. Yep. I can't do the chat room right now when I'm talking to you. But yeah. Okay. So where, well, where can everybody uh, find uh, Shadow Realm so they can pick that up? Yes, well... We have a handle and we have a website, uh, Demonology Incorporated. It's actually like under an HTTP, but it's uh, Demonology Incorporated. Uh, that's a good way. And uh, Panorama Paranormal, uh, email address is Panorama and Paranormal at cox.net, C-O-X dot N-E-T. Uh, so Panorama Paranormal, Demonology Incorporated. And uh, you can look me up and by default, you can always find me on uh, Facebook. I mean, I'm not on it every day, but you know, I will answer my messages. Right. You know, I'm probably the only Carl L. Johnson in the state of Rhode Island who's a demonologist, so it's not that hard <laughs> to find. Yeah, I feel like there's so yeah, much more difficult. to talk about it. So just do a search for, you know, Demonology Incorporated and Panorama Paranormal. Those are vehicles to track me down. All right. Well, there you go, everybody. Definitely pick up his book. Watch the show on Thursday and uh, keep up to date with everything that's going on with Carl because you have a lot that's going on um, 
out there as well at, at, at Slater Mill. New and, projects and are commencing. Yeah, there's things going on. Like uh, Duo Demonology is a new endeavor. I'm doing that along with James and Nitto. And Duo, that's you know Latin for a double. You know, Duo Demonologist or Demonology. And he and I are beginning a series of lecture programs. And we are, uh, James and I are going to be at the uh, Rochester Winter Parafest in February of next year. We're planning to go to Gettysburg uh, Battlefield Bash. That'll be uh, July, July 26th of next year. The Ocean State Paracon, which is morphing its format under Ken DaCosta, that's next summer. Uh, Paracon, Maine in September of next year. So I guess some, uh, some things in the local lecturing, too that libraries and colleges are being organized. So I get a lot to talk about if people get in touch with me and bring your situations to me. I'd be interested in happening, what's happening with people out there and around. Haunted Road Media Paracon. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. Hope you get all that in, you know, like yeah, at the end. Sounds like you have a well, lot going on next year you. already. So Hopefully we're still on the air for with all I just said, you know. Oh, we are. We are. Yeah. I have to be the one okay, that hits the button man. to cut us off. So <laughs> good. You have control of it. Yeah. I do. I do. So, all right. Thank you very much, my friend. I absolutely appreciate it. So pleasure talking to both of you. And yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely have you back on again yeah, soon. In fact, you want to know when would be a great time to have you back on. Uh, would probably be, be in January when uh, the Shadow Person book is released because. You, okay. Because there is, I have you in that book a lot. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I was saying, hopefully I've contributed some material to that and I'll get you those pictures too. See how they re reproduce. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that would be fantastic. I'm, I'm, get the, the photos. I'm also yeah. very, very interested in shadow persons. Yeah. Trying yeah. to understand a little more about yeah. them. Yeah. It's become a very interesting project. I've loved it and I really appreciate all the, the help and insight that you've provided. So this is going to be a great book. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I look forward to that. It's release. Okay. Okay. Take well, care, my friends. You take care. Happy Hallows. Yeah. Yes, happy Joy Halloween. Cowan, happy Halloween <laughs> and talk with you soon. You yes, too, we'll talk Bobby. with you soon. Good night. Bye.